It's timely. It's insightful. It's motivating. It's empowering. It's time with Fred, your inspirational broadcast with host Fred Gaddy. Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Time with Fred podcast. This is a podcast that challenges mindsets and paradigms that hold us back. Some of these paradigms and mindsets are labels, and whether these are labels we place on ourselves or labels placed on us by others, um, these, are, these are things that impact our lives. And joining me today on this episode of the Time with Fred podcast to discuss this all-important topic is Anne Maxwell. Anne is a psychotherapist who's worked for over 25 years with children who struggle with not fitting in with being different, with being labeled uh, with disorders. She's developed a unique approach for these children, the parents and family members that allows them to shift from dismay, distress and worry to being able to change all of that and to create a different way of being that works better for them. And grew up in a bilingual home where different was neither right nor wrong, it was just different. Prior to working with children and families directly, she worked in Washington, D.C. in national politics. She successfully lobbied for the authorization of and funding for a 25 million primary prevention and early intervention program for at-risk mothers and their babies. Eager to work with children and families, she's changed direction from lobbying on behalf of kids and families to attending graduate school so that she could become credentialed to work directly with them in a clinical capacity. Following her graduation, she worked in a variety of settings, including a residential treatment center, inpatient psychiatric hospitals, and outpatient clinics and practices, and incorporates the best of many trainings and workshops she's taking into her practice. A seeker at heart, she's, a constantly, she's constantly looking for what else she can add that might benefit kids of all ages and the adults in her lives. In addition to her clinical practice, Anne now travels around the world, teaching classes and speaking to groups of patients, teachers, and psychotherapists who work with and or behalf of children. And thank you so much uh, for coming on the Time with Fred podcast tonight. You're so welcome, and thank you so much for inviting me. And that she travels around the world is the last trip around the world that she had <laughs> was from Dublin to the U.S. <laughs> I think it was March 5th, and that's it. I haven't been traveling and, since. And then everything else changes. Changed, and then right? everything else changes in the flash of an eye. Yeah. And it, well, I was doing a little bit of uh, research earlier. Um, and there was this article published by the uh, United States National Library of Medicine and also the National Institutes of Health. And it says that um, healthcare professionals use diagnostic labels for both treatment and research purposes. But despite their clear benefits, diagnostic labels also serve as cues that activate stigma and stereotypes um, and can have a significant and negative impact on interpersonal relationships. This also may affect individuals' willingness to seek and receive care. Your reactions to that? I agree completely, and I would carry it one step farther. I think that one of the one of the main stigmas to, or one of the things that occurs when kids are labeled, especially as kids, is that they're made to feel wrong for who they are. 
And then they're also made, um, it's almost like people who label them like that are asking them to become somebody that they're not, right? There's just a lack of, there's, there's an unwillingness um, to allow them to actually be who they are. And, and so I get, so when I work with families, I encourage them to get their kids labels if the labels are going to create additional resources from in the, for them in the schools and um, give them whatever is required in order to be able to seek therapy and treatment and stuff like that with people like me and, and, and that, but not to buy the labels as real. It's almost like to use them to whatever advantage they can get from that without buying it. So, so in other words, there, there, there are some good sides, right? There are some benefits to look to the labels and there are some obviously negative sides, right? They're hugely yeah. negative yeah. sides. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's really, I think it's really important when kids are labeled to let them know this is, um, you know, you're different and you're not the same as all the other kids and there's nothing wrong with you. Different is different and you're not like them, you've never been like them, and you're never gonna be like them, and we're gonna get you some services, so, or, you know, we're gonna do whatever, and then yeah. you just complete the sentence, but you let them know that there's nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Like, the yeah. difference is not wrong. It's like what Temple Grandin says, uh, different, not wrong, different, not less, whatever. I can't remember what the exact quote yeah. is, but, but like that. And that's how I was raised. My mom was a big believer in that. You know, different is different. I was yeah. raised in a bilingual home and, and I traveled a lot as a little girl. Yeah. And yeah. So. And I think it's important for us to, at least for me to, to, to make the point, make it clear that we're not trying to minimize, um, you know, any disability. We're, we're not, we, we understand that these are real challenges that people go through and we're not in any way trying to downplay, at least for me, that's why we have the expert here on the podcast that, this is really not to discount how what the real challenges that people are going through, but really to talk about the the negative impacts that some of these labels have uh, on that. So I just thought I'll I'll um, I'll put that disclaimer out there. But but and in your role as a um, as a psychotherapist or as a child and family therapist, uh, what are some of the impacts, negative impacts that you've seen of labels on on the lives of the kids or families that you've worked with? Well, it's the, it, a lot of it, a lot of them, um, I mean, all the way through, they view themselves as being wrong. Um, but oftentimes they're, you know, the apples don't fall all that far from the tree usually. And a lot of times their parents have a lot of the same tendencies and were embarrassed by it and judged themselves and came to believe that there was something wrong with them and then freaked out when they saw similar patterns and similar behaviors and similar, you know, ways of thinking in their kids. And, and I think a lot of times um, parents for all the right reasons try to like to not have their kids have to go through what they went through try really hard to get their kids to be different enough so that they can fit in, you know, fit in. And, and one of the things that I, that I do with the parents and kids that I work with is, is that I let the kids know and the parents know that there's a difference between knowing who you need to appear to be versus actually becoming that 
right? And so just this story, um, this little guy, he's just one of the sparkly ones. I love these kids because they're so different. But anyway, um, I, I would see him at his mom. He would say to his mom that he needed to see me and they would come in for a session or two or something like that. And then they'd be good to go for six months or a year, whatever. Anyway, after a period of like not seeing them, he came in, um, he was in the eighth grade. So second year of middle school and he was failing math and he's brilliant at math and all the way through elementary school. And I think in the seventh grade too, he's functioning at several levels above and he was failing math. And he was also um, quarterback for a championship um, grade football team, like a league team. And they were regional champs. And the rule on the, the rule in the league is that you have to be passing all classes. Otherwise you can't play. So they came in and they were both really upset. And I said to him, what's going on? And, and his mom piped up and said, he's failing math. <laughs> and I started laughing like I am right now. And I just looked at him and said, what's going on? I thought you were like brilliant at math. And he goes, my teacher hates me. Huh. And, <laughs> and so I had this conversation with him. I said, so does your teacher get how you learn? And he said, no. And I said, do you learn differently from the way she's teaching you? And he said, yes. And I said, does she think the way you think? And he said, no. And he started to settle down as I asked him the questions. And I said, does she expect you to learn the way she's teaching you? And then does she get upset with you when you don't? And he goes, yeah. And I said, and so then I asked him some other questions. Then I said, so can you learn anyway, regardless of the way she's teaching you? Can you pull it out of the books and, you know, do your thing so that you just know? Because he's one of those magical kids that it gets the answer without having to do the work like that. And he said, yeah. And I said, so if you can do that, what if you can I, and, and all the thing about, do you want to play football, you know, blah, 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 like all that stuff got established. And then I said, so one of the things I want you to hear really clearly from me right now is that I'm not asking you to become somebody that you're not. Huh. And do not ever do that to yourself. Do not become somebody that you're not in order to please somebody who may even be unpleasable. Huh. But don't ever do that. My question to you is, can you give her enough of what she's asking from you in order to give you a passing grade without becoming it, right? Without punishing her for being so different, without punishing yourself by getting into fights with her about this, can you do that? And he said, I don't know, can I? And I said, I don't know, like give it a go and let me know. And his mom called me back a couple of weeks later and said, oh my God, he's passing again and i said how's he doing with the teacher and she said he she said she does he doesn't like her any more than he used to but he's quit fighting her and it's almost like there's a truce right now he's he's doing what you, you suggested he's giving her enough so that she's backed off the him needing to you know follow this sort of cookie cutter yeah. approach but that's my point of view that's my perspective with these kids is so oftentimes it sounds like it, there has to be an understanding, right, of, of who, a very good understanding for that matter of who the child is, right, or whoever we're dealing with to, yeah. be, able to, to be able to work well with them, right? Because we, we all have our expectations of what we want our kids to be or how we want them to behave. But oftentimes I think the, 
the downstream impact of that is is what we run we run into because we want to push them right into into certain boxes right that that they're not that they're not designed to fit in when i have parents in the room who say that kind of thing i say to them what's it like for you when somebody tries to make you be somebody that you're not and then punishes you for not being that person mm-hmm. right what's it like for you when somebody doesn't actually get you or somebody thinks there's something wrong with you because your thought patterns are different from theirs or your emotion you show emotions differently from theirs or yeah. whatever and they're sort of like whoa and it's like yeah that's what it you know that's what it's like for the kids yeah. so and and one of the underlying premises of my practice is to empower and i hate that word but i can't i haven't been able to come up with another one because it's used so much and so overused but really to empower kids to know who they are and and to be confident in that you know because then they don't become victims of anybody, mm-hmm. mean teachers or teachers who just don't get them, or you know they don't get they're they're not bullied. They're they don't become victims like that. Really yeah. to empower them. Yeah. So does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and you know going yeah. back to I guess using we I mean using was trying to that I guess the expected societal norms right whether it's traditional right. whether it's teachers that's the expectation of how. This is what normal kids do, right? So to speak, right? And so, if there is any deviation, I guess, from that, then okay, what's 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 going wrong there, right? But that's but that's not the case. That's really what gets us into trouble. I mean, what they get 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 kids into trouble, right? Well, it's a lack of it's the refusal to accept kids for who they are and having expectations. Like anytime, I don't know about you, but anytime I have an expectation, anytime somebody has an expectation of me, uh-huh. my back gets up. Uh-huh. Like, I, it's like, mm-mm, you don't get to do that to me. Like, you keep your judgments to yourself, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. And um, like with kids, to teach them how to function uh-huh. with people uh-huh. who judge them who have expectations of them, who project their own stuff onto them and then fault them for not being or meeting whatever those projections or expectations are, right? So that they don't become victims of not being able to meet somebody else's views, like to recognize that they're there, they're powerful people out there who have a lot of projections, a lot of expectations of you and teach them tools that they can use so that they can function in that world without falling apart or becoming victims or, you know, any of get being bullied or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, there's a story that, that come, and this is a true story. I'm sure you're, you're probably familiar uh, with, with the story of Jillian Lynn, um, who um, end up, ended up choreographing uh, the, the Cats, Phantom of the Opera, but her story when she was a, a little kid growing up in England, um, I think it was one day that her teacher sent her home with a note uh, to her mom and she brought the note and the note to her mom suggested was suggesting that she takes her daughter Jillian to go see a doctor and Jillian was not, I guess Norma was failing every class and she wasn't keeping up with the studies and so she took her to the doctor and as they were talking, she kept talking about all the bad things, right, or how she wasn't meeting up at school, the school's expectations. And so the doctor uh, 
asked Jillian if all the stories were true. And she asked Jillian to excuse him and mom. And so she, he turned on the music and then he and the mother stepped outside. And the moment the music started playing, Jillian got up and started dancing, dancing on the tables. And they just stood outside the doctor's office watching Jillian. Yeah. For a good, maybe 15 minutes or so. And they came back and the doctor told Jillian's mom, there is nothing wrong with your daughter. Your daughter is a dancer. Take her, take her to dance school. And so Jillian yeah. enrolled in the Royal School of Ballet, ended up becoming a great choreographer, yeah. ended up becoming a multi-millionaire. What a great a doctor. That, oh. This is a story that I, 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 my, every time I think about this, it just, it just does something to me. And I, uh, how, many, how many kids, right, are, have been left or have, have been misdiagnosed because someone didn't see the potential. Uh, the magic, the beauty, the capacities, right. One of the, I wrote a, a book with a couple of colleagues slash friends called Would You Teach a Fish to Climb a Tree? A different yes, take I was going to ask you that. Yeah. ADD, ADHD, OCD, and autism. And it comes from the Albert Einstein quote mm -hmm. of everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. stupid yep. Right? and meet these kids. Like Jillian was one of them until she met this magical doctor. Like I just wish hundreds of thousands of doctors like that on the planet, yeah. right? And on parents like her mom who heard it, who got it, who had the, the sense of, you know, to take her to somebody and actually found that doctor. I mean, yay mom, like good honor, right? Because I think there's so many parents who, who don't trust what they know about their kids and defer to the experts. Yes. And but and when they meet somebody like that doctor, are like are, I mean, I can just sense the relief in the mom and the daughter is like, all right, we got a plan. We can do this. This works, right? Yeah. 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 But, so how do we how do we shift or how do we how do we shift from, from this paradigm, right? There's a, a research done by the University of Bath uh, in the UK. Uh, it's actually a charity called mine that says three to five people in every 100 are estimated to be diagnosed with personality disorders in the UK, with one to three in every 100 living with schizophrenia. However, the use of such labels, the research, researchers argue, can create such a self-fulfilling prophecy which could exacerbate the patient's conditions and lead to less well-targeted treatment. So again, it ties back into the numbers are staggering. How, how do we begin to shift from this mindset and that that is so pervasive in, in society today that, that you're it, working hard for? I get that it really starts with each one of us, you know, and um, I, I was never like, I never functioned the way I was trained to function. And my supervisors used to pull their hair out with me. And part of the reason was because I was so not like so many of the other therapists in my trainings. And because of the fact that the kids loved me and got, you know, we had magical results together, my, the kids and I did. I, when I was working at the residential treatment center and then also on the inpatient psych units and then in my outpatient practice. And, and um, I just, it's it, one of my favorite things to give to parents, there are two. One is 
to ask them, what if you're the expert on your child? What if you know your child better than anybody else in the world, right? Better than the experts do like that. And then the second one is the power of asking a question. And a question isn't a statement with a question mark at the end of it. A question is a question. So what do you want for dinner? Is that a statement with a question mark at the end of it? Or is that actually a question? It's actually a statement with a question mark at the end of it because it presupposes A, that they're going to eat, A, that they're hungry, B, that they're going to eat, and C, that it's going to be in the form of dinner. Are you hungry is a question. When are you going to get your homework done is one of those things that will explode most kids on the planet. <laughs> Guaranteed, right? Do you have homework is a question. And then the thing that I remind parents of is whose homework is it? Yours or theirs? You know, <laughs> but that's another, but that's another story. But, but a lot of it is just, um, I don't know, being space and allowing. And when, uh, one of my favorite questions for parents is what is your job as a parent? And they come up with a, to guide, to love, to teach, to do this, to do that, you know, like protect, like all that kind of stuff. And my response is, what if your job as a parent is to teach your kids to choose? Because every choice that your child makes creative, creates a future for them, right? And by osmosis, the parents get it for them too. But I say things like, here's your child, here's something that they're struggling with. If you intervene in the middle, you become their problem, number one. And so they lose you as a resource that they could go to and ask for help. And number two is they never get they never get to like work through whatever it is this thing is that's keeping them stuck that's keeping them blocked, like that. And and so, how do you teach your kids to choose? You just sometimes you just have to keep your mouth shut, you know. And I, you give them information and then you let them choose. So, and you can do this really young. One of my um, friends. My, my, one of my friends, I mean, everybody in my world knows that I'm a therapist and that I work with kids and like that. And, and uh, this was, I don't know, eight years ago, I think he's, he's nine now, um, came to me and it was, is it okay for me to tell stories? Yes, absolutely. Okay, cool. So she, she called me up one day and she said her, her baby was a year and a half. And she said, I said, how's it going? And she said, oh my God, I don't think I'm going to live through the summer let alone the next 18 years. Like, I cannot do this. And I said, what happened? And she said, she has a big extended family and they, they were having a cookout. It was May and he was, um, I think he was really actually 18 months old then. And she, and she said, he spent the entire time running towards the grill, huh. acting like he was going to touch it. And I spent the entire time screaming at him. Huh. And she said, I can't do that. That wasn't fun. I was in tears. Finally, he got in tears because I was so mad at him. And, and I said, all right, so here's the deal. What if you teach him? What if you give him information and let him choose? And she said, what are you talking about? And I said, so when I present this to you, you're going to have to be willing to take him to the ER if he calls your bluff. But I said, here's what you do. The next time you have a, um, a cookout, make sure the grill is really hot and take his hand and put it really close to the grill and say, hot, mm. hot, hurt. And if you touch this, 
big owie. And I, and, and I said, and make it as big and dramatic as you can. Push all his doctor buttons and all his body pain buttons and let him know that it's going to be way worse than any of that. Like the doctor's going to have to do horrible things to him and blah, blah, blah. And I said, and... I mean, given who your, your kid is just awesome, I said, he may call your bluff or whatever. And she said, okay. So after that, after the next cookout, she, I, she called me up and I said, how'd it go? And she said, oh my God, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I did what we talked about and I turned away and he goes, mom. And I turned around and he was running. He was acting like he was going to run to the grill. And I, and she said, this was what was so hard. I looked, I locked eyes with him and I looked at him and I went like this. Mm. I just shrugged my shoulders and put my hands up in the air. And then she said, and I turned around and walked away. Mm. And she said, that's the last time he did it. Wow. Choice creates. And when you protect your kids from the futures that their choices are creating mm. for them, they lose that he got it at a year and a half that, that that's a very powerful story and, and and as you share this i i for a lot of parents at least i'll speak for myself we we, <laughs> we try to raise our kids right based on our own you know expertise and our own social experiences right but but it's 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 very different. You you gotta be able to meet the child, right? No, no two kids are the same, I'd imagine. And so one, what worked for us growing up, or what worked for me as a as a child growing up, may not necessarily work for for my child in this case. And I I can imagine the that level of control, right? Not wanting to relinquish that control, they'll go spank, they'll stop, right? But it, you have to almost give it up totally, right? Based on what you're you're sharing, right? For the child to learn. <laughs> Right on their own, right? You, you do, it, and with rare exceptions. Like, here's another story. A friend of mine um, was uh, with a family, and the, and the mom and the dad used to control the kid with anger. That was the only thing that worked. They would get, the kid would push, 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 and then they just explode, and the kid would finally listen. And so they were, they were in front of the house. The house was on a hill. And the house was on a busy street where there's a lot of traffic and the kid was playing with a ball and the ball started rolling down the hill and the kid just took off after it. And, and so in those moments you do step in. Mm -hmm. So my friend yelled and he, he, he said he threw the intensity of his parents anger at him when he said, stop. He said the kid's name and said, stop. And it was one of those yells where the entire neighborhood just froze. You know what I mean? Like yep. it was that yep. intense. Yep. And everything stopped and the ball rolled into the traffic. The cars stopped, right? They didn't run over the ball. Like that, you, you keep your kids from running into traffic. You do. You keep your kids from falling down a well. Yep. You, you know, you do yep. that kind of stuff. Or where there's like, a clear and present danger, right? You don't want to. Yeah, you know, but those are the exceptions. Yeah. It, it almost sounds like a like a situational parenting, right? I mean, no, yeah. <laughs> it, it all depends, right? No, no, one size doesn't fit fit all when it comes to uh, to parenting. You've got to, you've got to. It, it yeah. almost sounds like we we have to go through training ourselves as parents, right, to be able to well, raise, to be able to train our kids. And Fred, you know what's so funny is that a lot of times kids will act out 
and and come in and there it's known as the IP, the identified patient. And and it turns out that it's the parents who've got stuff going on. <laughs> so I spend, you know, I spend a lot of time with parents and 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 then when the you know the parents will settle down and then and then when things start spinning out because there's a lot of stuff co that goes on you know divorces separations job losses mm -hmm. moves mm -hmm. um judgmental um grand like all i mean you name it it just goes on and on and on and and sometimes it's hard and and one of the things that occurs is that kids kids will quote act out when they see their parents struggling uh -huh. just because they don't know what else to do, uh -huh. you know? And so that's what you, that's what occurs um, often. Yeah. And, and it, and we raise our kids. We end up raising our kids typically the way we were raised, unless uh -huh. there's somebody like that doctor, somebody like me, you know, somebody like there are some people out there unless somebody gives you permission or the awareness that you don't have to do that. Yep. Like, right. And one of my colleagues, Dr. Dane here is a dear friend and a colleague. And one of the questions that he asks is, what if you could raise your kids the way you should have been raised, not the way you were? Mm. And it just, you know, when you, when, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, you know, there are times where I just swear, I'm not gonna, I will never say these words. And then they just come flying out of my mouth, right? And, and it's like, um, and, and then not to make yourselves wrong. I mean, you know, you do the best you can with what's going on in the moment and sometimes, you don't make smart moves, smart choices, yep. and it's not the end of the world. You just yep. keep going, keep yep. moving. You know, and kids how, are resilient, yep. they're forgiving. And how important are, are the words that we speak over, over our children? I mean, you, you, like you rightly said, you know, perhaps a, a parent, a single mom or a single dad, or that there's a lot of stress, right? Even yeah. considering what's going around the world, you know, there's a lot of, you know, people dying out of this COVID thing, people are losing. There's a lot of emotions, right, that are at play when it comes to. So let's, let's, let's take a single mom, for instance, who perhaps, you know, might have lost their, or maybe a parent, you know, mom, dad, you know, lost their jobs and, you know, no income and they're upset, they're worried about the future and those very, very vulnerable, right? And the kids are, you know, kids are going to be kids, right? They, they push their emotional, you know, buttons and, you know, we fly out the handle and we, we make these utterances, you know, negative utterances out of the anger and out of the hurt. And how important are those utterances uh, and on, on, the, on our kids, right? I mean, how important are those? Or should we be, should we be intentional? Should we even think about the impact of the words or the things that we speak um, over these kids, even in those emotionally charged um, situations? Yeah, there's no excuse. I don't care whether you lost your job or whatever. There's no excuse for what comes out of your mouth. Choice creates. You know, if I say this, what's that going to create? If I don't say it, what's that going to create? Like, what's what? Is this something that I even need to say? Is yep. this is this even mine? The one of the things that I really know about kids is when parents are okay, kids are okay, mm. and it's not like it's a parent's fault if there's something going on with their child, but during these sort of highly turbulent um, emotional times, mm -hmm. kids tend to do much better if their 
if their parents' anxiety level and um, out and emotional well-being is, you know, relatively calm. I mean, yeah, it's it's really okay to say, yeah, these are hard times, and you know, daddy lost his job, and we're fine. We're going to be fine. Like whether he has a job or not, we're going to be fine. Yeah. And and to, you know, it like that. So it sounds like we, as parents, we have to manage our own emotions, right? Before, even in the midst of all of that, we can't, yeah. we can't exert or, or release our frustrations on the kids and blame them for, for what they're doing. It sounds like we have to do a much better job managing our own emotions, whether it's anger or, or bitterness or, or whatever, right? Yeah. As we, as we yeah, no. kids, right? And yeah, and to do that without making, making, yourselves, making yourself wrong, like, the, you know what I mean? It's like, there's hard stuff going on. And sometimes you say stuff that you wish that you hadn't said. And then there's a question of whether you clean it up or whether cleaning it up is simply moving on and just letting it go. I was talking to a friend the other day and she said that um, uh, when they, I can't remember, they lived in Germany when she was a little girl and she may even have been born in Germany and they moved back to the U.S. and she didn't speak the language. And it was really tough and she put on a lot of weight and her mother looked at her one day and said you're disgusting mm. you disgust me and that's you know it took her years to let that one go but um and without making the mom wrong without faulting the mom it's like yeah, sticks and stones can break my bones. Yeah, exactly. I was just me. thinking about that. Like, yeah. They actually do hurt. And and one of the things that occurs with kids is that they then begin to believe whatever those words are saying about them. They begin to take that in as if they were true. And, you know, those are sort of the demons that yeah. can yeah. Yeah. run your life. Uh, and what what are some of the practical ways for us to be able to recognize? Um, and again, we talked about parents, the parent and the child here. If if say mom, you know, is upset or dad's upset, or getting to that point where they realize they're about to lose it, what are some of the telltale signs? Are there any warning signals that they need to be aware of to realize, okay, I'm about to get there. Let me let, let me pause. Right. Let let me push that pause button because it's there is a tendency for me to, to lose it. And I don't want to say anything, whether it be, you know, on married couples, because we, we say things when we're upset, right? Are there any practical ways based on your experience that we need to be able to guard against some of these things to make sure we don't, we don't get there and, and cause all that harm? The only, I mean, the main one is if I say this, what's that going to create? Hmm. It's just stop yourself. Yeah. Like just really stop and a lot of the times the you know and, and you know i also are you willing to give up the fight you know the fight to be right the fight to not be wrong mm -hmm. like that just the fight to just are you willing just to be and to be with whatever it is and just roll with it yeah yeah and what if we make the mistake and and, and we say those those cutting words how do we then undo that damage? Sometimes it's, it takes years because that just, it becomes an emotional scar that keeps playing right in the minds of whether it's a child or whoever. Because I've heard things like, I can, I can forgive you, but I can never forget what you said to me. I can never forget what you did to me. Is there a way to perhaps as someone listening to this podcast who 
may, may, may have found themselves in that situation. They may have said some things, you know, to others that may hurt them or maybe ruined relationships. How do they manage that? Is there a way to undo that damage or, or is it done for good? No, it's never done for good. Yeah. You have to recognize what you did and what you said and then clean it up. Yeah. You know, I'm really sorry I said that. I was, that's actually a lie. It's not true. Yeah. And then um, uh, not make them bad or wrong or, or whatever. I mean, I, I remember when I was, well, I think it was my stepdad's 80th birthday and the whole family was there, both, both families. And it, m my parents lived in a relatively big house, but um, having 25, maybe 30 people in the house was a lot. And there were lots of dishes and there were never paper plates, you know, it was always China and all that. And I was in the kitchen and, and, oh, and the silver and one of the silver spoons slipped into the um, garbage disposal and I didn't realize it. And there was a ton of food that was coming off the plates. And so I turned the disposal on Ooh. and I heard it instantly and I turned it off and pulled it out. And my mom came flying into the kitchen and said, God damn it you never helped me. I can't believe you just, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was stunned. I had done nothing but help wait on people, pass things around, buy food, do all that kind of stuff. And my mom and I were very close. I mean, she was just strung out. And I went outside and um, walked across the yard. It was dark at that point and just sat in the in the, sh in the shade and one of my brothers came over and put his arms around me and said, I'm really sorry. She's mm. no. And I went back in the house and my mom was looking for me and she said, I was way out of line mm. and I am really sorry. Thank mm. you for everything that you're doing. And I was willing, I was willing to receive her apology. I think that when people that the whole thing about forgiveness is if you're unwilling to forgive either mm. yourself or somebody else, it means that you're hung up on needing to be righter yes. than anybody else is. Yeah. And yeah. that need to be right is what will kill you. Yes. Like literally it'll kill relationships. It'll kill. And over time it'll kill you. So spot on and so spot on. And, and even with that parent child relationship, I'm not sure how many, parents out there would 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 want to apologize i'm sure they're I, i've done it but it, it takes it takes a level of maturity right to be able to go apologize to your 12 year old or eight year old right for for going off right what are you teaching them if you're not willing to apologize they'll just exactly. grow up, function the same way you mm -hmm. know it's like yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no like, no no I was, just, I was just i was just kidding because <laughs> i've seen that and i've heard parents say that you know me no i'm I'm the parent. I, you do what I tell you. But, but the opposite is actually true. And you talk about, you know, what do we teach them? It starts right there, right? The ability for them to realize, oh, gosh, mom, dad, apologizing. You know, what, what does that even do to the child, right? The relationship. Even I mean, better. my question to people who function like that is, would you rather be right or mm. would you rather be free? Mm. 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 A lot of people would rather be right. And that's fine. It's just good to know that. Yeah. Like, I don't, it's like, okay. Yeah. And go, yeah. Go, going back to the, to the book that, that you wrote with your friends, would, would you teach a fish to climb a tree? Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about that book 
and, and what are what lessons there are. I haven't read it's it sounds like a book I'd like to read for sure. It's an awesome book. I have it right here. Can I show it? Yes, please go ahead. It's this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, and it's backwards. This is so weird. Is it backward for you? No, it's it, not. It's it's showing correctly. It's showing correctly. Yeah. There's something weird with my Zoom yeah. thing. So um I it's a little okay so by way of description it's a little outside the box and the three of us are pretty far outside a lot of boxes and what we talk about in there is our experiences and and um the tools that are used and that we talk about actually do work with these kids with the kids with add adhd ocd and autism and and so one of the, I used to apologize. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I don't anymore. One of the, <laughs> when I, I'm, I, my therapy practice is nowhere near like what it used to be. I've sort of like, um, backed off a little bit with the travel and the classes and, and like that kind of stuff. And it's starting to pick up again. But, um, one of the, th there was a pediatrician who used to send me all of her kids who, for whom there was really, extreme physical stuff going on, but no medical basis for it, like no scientific evidence of whatever it was that was causing it that she could then heal or cure, you know, so she would do symptom stuff, but that was it. And then she would send the um, families to me and, and the family, you know, I'd meet with the parents first, typically, and we, I'd do the intake, what's up, what's going on, and they'd tell me, and then at when it, you know in a therapy session when they're comfortable when they click when you know you're going to be able to work together mm -hmm. both because I, I they're anyway that's another story um and then they would say to me when they started feeling comfortable do you want to know what she says about you <laughs> say sure because it was always the same thing and they would say she says you're really far outside the box and she has no idea what it is that you do but whatever it is really works. <laughs> so like for me, like the willingness to be that, to be that different. And, and, you know, so that's a lot of what this um, book is. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and what, are a little far out there and they actually really work. I'm going to pick that one up. because I'd, I'd, I'd like to read it, but, but then where, do, where do people go for help? I think, I think a lot of times it's that, I don't even know where to start, right? I'm having this challenge, you know, with my kids or with myself. Where do we even start out? This uh, says, unfortunately, uh, most people who are troubled by uh, a depressed emotional state ask their physicians rather than a psychotherapist or a professional what to do. So the man with a hammer, as the saying goes, the world's a nail. Doctors give pills, right? So where, where do people go for help? Maybe there's someone you know, listening to this podcast or maybe experiencing some, some challenges, whether it be parenting or the kids, where do they go? What resources are out there for them to go for help? You just have to ask. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've got, um, I've got a website, I've got a practice. There are other people out there that you, you, you have to ask. I'm a big believer in, you know, ask and you shall Asking receive. Questions. Yep. But you just, you ask for help, ask for help from the universe or from God or whatever, whoever, yep. whatever it is that you call it. Yep. And then just pay attention to who comes into your world. Like you want to, you want to ask for a pray for somebody like um, that doctor and, and, or like me. And they're, they're out there. We're not the only two on the planet, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and just ask. Mm -hmm. 
and and I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I get that, and I'm good with that. There are a lot of people that are much more comfortable with the traditional behavioral models and like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't throw everything out. I just my practice is pretty eclectic, and I it happens to be a sort of a compilation of the tools and the points of view and the the things that I found that actually work for my clients and yep. work for me. So, yeah. Yep. But you just ask. Yep. There's no right answer. I think the first thing is to get off the idea that if you can just figure it out and come up with a right decision, then everything's going to be all right. Life's not like that. Mm. There's no rightness in life. It's like you get hung up on needing to be right. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to end up living a pretty small yep. life. And as we, as we, wrap up here any words of encouragement to someone who you know may be on the verge of giving up whether in themselves and the kids or all oh, these kids will these kids will never amount to anything you know i'm done just at the point of giving up i mean you've worked with diverse yeah. kids all over these years right i'm sure you've, you've seen them all but what words of hope or encouragement would you you know give someone maybe a parent who just <laughs> can't see anything past, you know, all the challenges right now. Any, anything you want to say to someone listening? Tonight? Yeah, don't give up yeah. and ask a question. Like, who can I find that can help me? Where can I go? What can I say? What can I do? What can I read? What resources are out there for me? And really ask for it. it ask and you shall receive is yeah. one of the best parts of the bible ever yeah matthew 7 like, 7 right ask right ask and and then know that oftentimes it never shows up the way you think it's going yes. to like if you if you ask with a particular result in mind you're just going to create more ways to try to make yourself right and not wrong but if you ask you'd be amazed at what <laughs> what the universe or God can come yeah. up for you. You're, it's almost like your job is to ask and then get out of your own way. Yeah. And then it's, just wait patiently. the universe and to God to figure out how to get it yeah. to you. And it may take a while, but it'll, it'll work. And, and in this society, you know, we, we want it what we want it. We want it now. You know, we everything on our terms, right? It takes, yeah. it takes some level of maturity, I guess, to be able to, to your point, get out of the way, right? And, and let God. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Right, right. Uh, and pay attention like be aware right yeah, yeah. cool thank and you thank, so much absolutely thank you so much for coming on the time with Fred podcast i want to thank you for your time and uh we'll, we'll get through this I'm glad to hear your business is, is picking up and uh hopefully we'll get a have you again some other time to share um you know some some insights based on based on what's happening around so thank you so much and to our audience uh, who joined us this evening thank you as well for your